Good morning. Uh, for I see a lot of new faces, which is super, super encouraging because we've only been gone a year and a half. Um, and I also see uh, lots of faces that we know and love uh, so, uh, so well. Uh, we're so glad to be uh, here with you. My name is John Paul Watson. Um, I pastored here for uh, a little over seven years. And about a year and a half ago, my family and I, we moved to Denver, Colorado. Um, to endeavor in a church uh, plant out there to start a new church. I've, I've actually learned that. Being in Denver, people have no idea what a church plant is because people have never really been to church before. So the way you have to talk about it is we're starting a new church. Um, and, uh, and that's what the Lord called us out there uh, to do along the southern edge of the city there, right near the University of Denver. Uh, we've been out there about a year and a half now. Um, this is the second year for our kids being in school, right? Second year for our kids being in school, um, and, uh, and things are going well so far. Uh, please pray for, uh, pray for us. Pray for our church plant. Pray that the Lord um, would do a mighty, mighty work in people's, uh, people's hearts. Uh, to give you a slight snapshot uh, of the people that we meet uh, in uh, it, where we live in Denver is the vast majority of people that we meet uh, have never really had any experience with the church. So they have no idea um, what the church is or why anybody would want to be committed to that. And so then when they find out that I'm a pastor, um, they look at me and they're like, well, what is, what is that like? Uh, there's a real genuine interest that exists, which is super, in, uh, super encouraging, but there's a lot that people just don't know about the church, don't know about Jesus, don't know about the gospel. So pray that the Lord would open doors for us to have those kinds of conversations and uh, continue to build uh, relationships uh, out there. And we wanted to say a huge thank you to CPC and to, to you people, individually uh, and collectively. Uh, Carrie and I and, and the kids, we, we, we say this a lot, we literally couldn't be out there without you. Um, Thank you. Uh, and we also want to say we miss you uh, so much. It's, it's so cool. I, with our host church out there, Deer Creek Church, I got to share with people. Uh, last Sunday, we did some interest meetings for the church plant, and I got to share with people that they have a sister church who's all the way on the other side of the United States who's making this happen. <laughs> We're out here because of, these, because of these people over here and these people, you people, who are in this room. So thank you guys so, so, so much. We're excited to be here. Please come and hang out at the Bimas with us at 4 o'clock. Uh, it, it can kind of be a drop-in, you know, come in and out uh, sort of thing. We would love to see you. We would love to see you if you're new. We would love to see you if we know you. We, we would just love to, to, to see you. And we'll also be here up until up until Thursday. So we look forward to connecting with everybody uh, while we're here. We're super excited to be here. And I am super excited to uh, be here and to preach this morning. Uh, we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 3 this morning, verses 7 through 19. So if you have a Bible, if you would, please turn there um, so that you can kind of follow along. And uh, as you're getting there, um, a couple of reasons uh, why Mark 3 uh, for you guys, because we're kind of jumping in the middle of something here, right? One, uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to preach on Mark 3 is that in a few weeks, I have to preach on Mark 3 at our host church. Um, so that was, uh, that, that, that was one, uh, one of the reasons. But another reason is, for whatever reason, um, through different avenues throughout the last year and a half and everything, the, the, the Lord has put me in situations where... I've been in the Gospel of Mark a lot. And so I've been reading Mark's account of the life of Jesus 
a lot. So, so I've been spending a lot of time in it. And, and then the other reason is this, is, is that because of some of that, trying to follow the prompting of the Spirit and everything, uh, the Gospel of Mark might be one of the first sermon series that our church goes through in our church plant. Um, so I wanted to share that with you all uh, today as we take a look at Mark chapter 3. Um, if you're here this morning, uh, I've, I've been in ministry long enough uh, to, to sort of see this and understand this, that when God gathers his people together to worship, he seems to be really interested in bringing people to gather with his people to worship, to participate in worship who don't necessarily know what to make of Jesus, don't necessarily know what to make uh, of Christianity. Um, and so I'm actually assuming that there might be some of you in here that are like that. that. That the Lord has brought you here, and you're not exactly sure why the, the Lord has brought you here, but it just it seems to be something that he does a lot. And so as we enter into looking at Mark chapter 3, I want to sort of pose um, some questions to you if you're here and you're, you're contemplating, you're pondering who this Jesus is and what to make of Christianity. Um, what if there is a God? And what if that God actually wants a relationship with you? And what if that relationship is fully and finally and ultimately found in the person of Jesus Christ? So I want you to, I want you to consider that. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not sure what to make of Jesus, you're not sure what to make of Christianity, and for those of you that are here, uh, every week, and you come every week, I have some questions for you. What if there is a God? And what if he wants a relationship with you? And what if that relationship is fully and finally found in the person of Jesus Christ? You see, we all need to hear the same thing. <laughs> whether you're here and investigating, whether you're here and you're here every week, we never, never, never need to forget that we never get beyond Jesus. That we never get beyond the good news of Jesus' life, of his death, and of his resurrection. That's a long intro. But let's hear God's word this morning. Let's hear what he has to communicate to us. Let's hear a portion of a letter from home. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up to the mountain and called to him those he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, Father, we, uh, we need your word. Uh, we, we need to come here this morning. We need to hear what you have to say about who you are, about who we are, and about how we relate to you. And we come here fully knowing and expecting that the way that you relate to us is in Jesus and is in grace. That you are the God of grace, the God of gift, the God of unmerited favor. That is why you gave us Jesus, because you love us. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would have your way with us. Whatever you need to do to make Jesus more believable and more beautiful to us, do that. Do that. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A little bit of an intro into the gospel of Mark. Mark begins his gospel with this, this singular line that what he is writing about is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that word gospel means good news. So the gospel of Mark as a whole, what it is going for, what it's communicating to us is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And from that first sentence, what Mark does is he gives us a little bit of an introduction on who this Jesus is. And then from there, this intro that we get to, to who this Jesus is, we see Jesus enter into this pattern, this pattern of teaching and healing. Jesus would go into the synagogues and he would teach. He would teach in the open air. People would come to him and he would heal them. He would heal their diseases. He would heal their infirmities. And at the beginning of chapter 3, just before what we just read, Jesus is in a synagogue. He's teaching on that day. And a man with a withered hand comes up to him and asks to be healed. And in the middle of that synagogue, in the middle of Jesus' sermon, he heals this man with a withered hand and makes his hand work the way that it should. And the fallout of that is that the religious leaders that are there, they are seeking to devise ways to get to Jesus and to kill him. That's the fallout of it. And that fallout is actually what brings us to what we just read earlier. And there's this thing that seems to be running underneath the surface of everything that is going on with these people in Mark's gospel that are interacting with Jesus. And the thing that is going underneath the surface is this question. And the question is this, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Who is this guy who teaches with such authority? Who is this guy who heals people? Who is Jesus? That's a great question. It's a good question for us. It's a good question for us to wrestle with today, like here, uh, this morning. In some senses, it's, it's an age-old question. It's a question that people have been asking uh, for centuries now and millennia. People are still asking this question of who is Jesus. So I want us to investigate this question this morning. But to give you a little bit of an idea of how people answer this question, I did this thing and I went to YouTube. And I typed in, what do people say about who Jesus is? And so this is what YouTube has to, uh, has to offer us on uh, people's response to the question of who is Jesus. This is just a sampling of some of the answers that were given. Um, some people said, he's just a normal guy. 
just like you, just like me. Some people said he's a selfless person. One individual said that if David Copperfield was alive in Jesus' day, he would have been Jesus. Some of them said he's not the son of God. One said, I don't really have an opinion about Jesus uh, because I think that religion was created to control the masses. Some said he was a morally and religiously enlightened person. One said, Jesus is misinterpreted by a lot of people. One person said, Jesus had to be a marketing genius because he got everybody to believe him. And one person said, I think Jesus saw something in people that other people didn't see and still don't see in others today. Here's the truth. The question, who is Jesus, is the most important question that you could ask. It is. It's the most important question that we could ask and we could seek to answer. And this passage that we have here in front of us in Mark 3 actually gives us a clear answer to that question. And look, Mark doesn't bury the lead in his gospel, okay? He starts with the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So I'm I'm giving it to you up front there because Mark doesn't bury the lead. But Mark's answer to that question is that Jesus is the Son of God. But I want us to look at this passage through the eyes and get to the answer of this question through the eyes of the mob, the twelve, And then I've got some takeaways for you. So if you're an outline person, all right, your outline today is the mob, the 12, and takeaways. So let's think about this together. Let's dive in. The mob. Jesus has been teaching. He's been healing people. And in verse 7, what we see is that Jesus withdraws from the synagogue and he starts to head towards the sea. The sea being the Sea of Galilee. So he's sort of in the northern part of Israel, around the Sea, the sea of Galilee. And then we see these great crowds start gathering around Jesus. And they come from as far north as a place called Sidon, and as far south as a place called Idumea, and a number of places anywhere in between those. But roughly between Sidon, which is in the far north of Israel, and Idumea that starts to get into the southern wilderness of Israel is roughly about 300 miles, Okay. And where they are is sort of on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. That's where they are. The point is this. The word's out about Jesus. People are hearing about this guy. People are hearing about what this guy's doing. People are talking. They're spreading it. Hey, there's this guy who's around Galilee, and he's healing people, and he's teaching with authority. And it's so compelling. It's clearly so compelling to people as far as 300 miles away from each other, that they will take multiple days trip to come and see this guy. And you got to imagine, they didn't have the internet or telephones or anything like that, so they could be showing up and he's not even there. And then how are they going to find him? But they are willing to skip whatever it is that they are doing, to drop whatever it is that they are doing, and to come and to take a multiple day trek just to find out who this Jesus is. Why? Why? Well, verse 8 tells us because they heard about what Jesus was doing. They heard about what he was doing. They heard about what he was doing. They dropped everything and they started to head towards where they thought he would be, where they heard he might be, to go and see 
this guy named Jesus. And then in verse 9, we see that the crowd gets so big and it gets so pressing that Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, look, you got to get a boat because these people are going to crush me. That's like, that's the pressure that Jesus is feeling. He's to the point where like, I'm literally going to get trampled. Have you ever been in a situation like that before? You ever been in a situation where the crowd feels so big and it's so pressing in that your thought in your mind is, I got to get out of here? Because that's what's going on in Jesus' mind. I got to get out of here. I've only experienced this one time in my life. It was when I was living in Nepal, and I was in a, I was in a town up in the mountains called Namshi Bazaar, and they had a festival called the Doomji Festival, and everybody in the mountains would gather and come to Namshi uh, during this time, and, and they would gather together for this four-day festival, and there's a lot of dancing, and there's a lot of drinking, and there's, like, it's, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal, and, and so we were in this building that was probably roughly... Um, a little bit bigger than our space right here. And so many people started coming in and coming in that you started to feel that. You started to feel like people pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing. And it got to the point where I was like, I got to get out of here. You, you ever been there? Like, I, I, I've got to get out of here. And even if it isn't that kind of situation, everybody's been in a situation where you're like, I got to get out of here. That's how Jesus is right now. He's like, look, they're going to crush me. Like, we've got to, we've got to get out of here. And then in verse 10, we get a fuller answer as to why it is these crowds are here, why it is they are pressing in on him, why it is that they feel like they've got to get to him. It's because Jesus has been healing people. Their diseases have been healed. Their infirmities, their chronic illnesses, just by just by Jesus touching them. And so they think to themselves, if I can get close enough, if I can just get up to him, if I can just touch him, if I can just lay my hand on him, then, then I can be healed. Jesus is like magic. And then in verse 11, we get this interesting twist in the midst of this crowd. This interesting twist where there's these unclean spirits just show up. Not exactly sure how they manifest themselves, if they're like speaking through people, or if there's just like this audible stuff that's going on. But nonetheless, these unclean spirits make this announcement about who this is. All of these people are gathered around to try and get to and to touch. And these unclean spirits, they bow down and they say, you are the son of God. In the midst of this crowd, in the midst of this frenzy to get to Jesus, unclean spirits make the announcement of truth about who this is that is here, the Son of God. And look, this lets us in on something about the Bible and about the world that we, that, that we live in that we don't necessarily get all that comfortable talking about. But we all have this sense. Do you ever have this sense that there's something more going on than just what's on the surface? The Bible's like, yeah, there is. The, the Bible is very clearly and openly and unapologetically like supernatural. So that sense that you have, that like it, 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 there's something going on underneath the surface. It's, there's more to it than just what my eyes can see. The Bible's totally comfortable with that. That's just an aside. The Bible's totally comfortable with that. Totally fine with communicating to us. There's these unclean spirits that make this announcement right here. But I have a hunch that it has something to do with that feeling that each and every one of us has, that there's more than meets the eye 
to what is going on in the world. That God is operating in a physical world. He's also operating in a spiritual world as well, too. And then Jesus has this authority to look at these unclean spirits and to command, to demand of them, don't you tell anybody. Don't you say that to anybody. And what I think we're supposed to take away from that is Jesus' authority in the moment. That these unclean spirits, they know who he is. And Jesus has the authority to command them what to do and what not to do. And he exercises it in that moment. That's the mob scene that we get. That's the mob. And so now let's take a brief look at the 12. Because our scene turns away from that mob scene. And Jesus and the disciples, they somehow get away from the mob. Whether or not they got in the boat and sailed somewhere, uh, we don't exactly get that. But they seem to get away from the mob. And at the very least, I guess they just out-hike everybody because they go to the top of a mountain. And we're not talking about a hill, okay? Like, we're talking about legitimate. Like, if you go to the Sea of Galilee, you'll see that it's surrounded by mountains. And so Jesus and his disciples, they get away from this mob. They go to the top of this mountain. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and Mark tells us that he calls those he desires, and that they come, and then that Jesus appoints to them to follow him and to be with him, and that he's going to send them out to preach, to preach the good news, the Messiah has come, and to cast out demons in his authority. And what I want us to notice about this portion, like verses 13 through 19, more than I, more than I do anything else is notice how Jesus-centric Mark is. Everything that is happening, everything that is going on is by Jesus. Jesus is the one who's calling them. Jesus is the one who's appointing them. Jesus is the one who is sending out these 12 to do the work that Jesus is the one who is giving them. He's doing all of it. He's doing all of it, and he's inviting these disciples, these apostles, these would-be apostles, in to what he is doing in the world. He's the one with the authority. He's the one with the authority to call them. He's the one with the authority to appoint them and to send them out. And then we get the names of these 12 guys. Let's read back through them real quick. Verse 16, Jesus appointed the 12. There was Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus calls out these twelve to come and to follow him, to be with him, to live alongside of him, and then to send them out. To send them out to preach, to send them out to cast out demons, and all of that in his authority. Make no mistake, Jesus is the one with authority as far as Mark is concerned. So that's the mob. That's the 12 that we got called here. And so I got some takeaways for us, okay? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and admit the first takeaway is a good bit longer than the second one. Um, so hang in there with me. But I've got two. I've got two takeaways for us. The first takeaway is this. The real Jesus 
Okay? The real Jesus. Remember, everyone in this passage is asking this question. Who is Jesus? And Mark has made clear from the very beginning that this Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the Savior of the world. Our first takeaway is the real Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. But how is it that the mob sees him? What does the mob think about who this Jesus is? Well, as we've dug into that story, you can kind of see that the people that are there in the mob, they kind of think about Jesus as sort of a miracle worker. Maybe he's, he's magic, you know? Kind of like a, a, a genie in a bottle. Like I've got this wish and Jesus can grant it. And what I want to hone in on is that, is that the mob seems to be interested in what Jesus can do for them. Not in who he is. They're interested in what Jesus can do for me. Jesus can heal me. Jesus can fix my problems. Is that who Jesus is to you? Is that who Jesus is to me? I mean, are, are you here this morning because you think that Jesus will fix your problems? Are you here this morning because you think Jesus will heal you of your diseases? Are you here this morning because you think Jesus will fix your marriage? Fix your money issues? Are you just interested in Jesus because of what, he think, what you think he can do for you? And what you think that he can get you? Me? In, in my own life? Man, let me tell you. The last year and a half living in Denver and moving out there to plant a church and to get our family settled and all of that and everything has felt like a massive limbo. One foot in something, one foot in something else. And that has been really hard for me, and I just want Jesus to fix it. I just want, it, I just want him to take the hardness of that away. I want him to take the, the, the pain of that away. I just want him to, to fix my inner emotions that I have that are going on, that I'm insecure about this over here and that over there. How do I have one foot in this host church here, but I'm supposed to be planning this church here? And those of you that know me, you know I'm an all-in kind of guy. And that's hard for me. And I just want Jesus to fix it. I want him to take it away. I want to be done with that. I want to feel all in about something. But that's not where Jesus has me right now. He has me in a spot of limbo a little bit. But he's put me on a trajectory of being able to be all in with the church plant. And we're excited about that. But I just want Jesus to fix the heart in my life. I want him to be my genie that I can come to and I can, and I can rub the bottle and I can get my wishes out of it. And look, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus is there for you. Jesus is here for me in the midst of my insecurities internally. Jesus is there for you for your marriage. Jesus is there for you for your diseases and your infirmities. Jesus is there for you for your money issues. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But if you only think about Jesus through the lens of what he can do for you, you've missed it. You've missed who he is because he is the son of God, the savior of the world. 
You're worried about your problems and Jesus fixing your problems. Jesus is redeeming everything. He's after all of it. All of creation. He's so much bigger than just your genie in a bottle. So much bigger. Well, there's also another element that's going on with the mob here. Because there's this undercurrent of what has been happening with the people of Israel during Jesus' day. You see, they're not really uh, governed by themselves alone. The Roman government actually holds authority over the people of Israel in Jesus' day. And so there's, there's this undercurrent that is going on that is underneath everything that is happening in Israel in Jesus' day that has everything to do with how can we, as Israel, as Jews, get back in a position of power? And even one of these people that Jesus calls out to follow him is, is a guy named Simon, and he's given this moniker, a zealot. That means the guy wants to overthrow the Roman government. So you also have that element of things that's happening and going on here as well too. So you have some people, and they're not necessarily mutually exclusive from the people that are just the, what can Jesus do for me? There are the people of, how could Jesus champion my agenda? Our agenda as the people of Israel? How could Jesus be our general? This guy's got a lot of power. People have diseases and they come to him and he touches them and he heals them. Boy, we could use that power. We could use that power. We, we could use that power to get back into power. Back to the days of David. We could use a guy like this. Jesus could be our general. He could push forward our agenda. He could put us back in a place of power. We could use his power to take back power. Jesus will just push our agenda. How about you? What's your agenda that you want Jesus to push? What's my agenda? Well, let me share with you a few examples of what I feel like I've seen over the course of the last few years of how, G how people want Jesus to push their agenda. And I think we need to hear this. And I think we need to come to grips with this. I think we need to be honest about this. Here's some of the examples that I see. There are people who want Jesus to push their agenda of conservative politics. There are people who want Jesus to push their agenda of liberal politics. There are people who want Jesus to push their agenda of gun rights, of my sexuality agenda. My schooling agenda. Well, maybe you're here. I mean, you hear that, and like, look, let's be honest. Every, we all see it. So let's name it. It's there. But maybe you're here, and you're actually like me, and if I get down to brass tacks, you know what my agenda is? My awesomeness. I want Jesus to push the party of John Paul. That's, like, that's what I'm interested in. How great I am. How awesome I am, the agenda of JP, the party of JP. And here's the way that works. I want Jesus to push the agenda of I'm the best dad in the world. I want Jesus to push the agenda of pastor extraordinaire. 
I want Jesus to push the agenda of church planning king. Who's Jesus to you? What's your agenda? Where is Jesus? Where is the Holy Spirit opening your eyes and your heart to how you have your own agendas and you just really want Jesus to get on board and to be the stamp of approval for you? Where? We've all got it. It's, it's there for every single one of us. And here's the interesting thing in this passage. The interesting thing in this passage is that we actually receive the truth of who Jesus is from the most unlikely of places. Unclean spirits. It's the unclean spirits in the midst of the mob that make the announcement of who this is. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. And that connects us all the way back to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. You see, Mark writes his gospel again to share with us the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who is Jesus? The real Jesus? The real Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. That's the good news. The good news is that God himself has become man and has entered into this world, the world that he made and spoke into existence, and he has taken on flesh, and he's walked amongst us. That's the good news. And look, here's the thing. What good news means is that we live in a state of bad news. Because in order for good news to be good news, there's got to be some bad news. There's got to be bad news. And here's the bad news. The bad news is this, is that every single one of us is committed to the agenda of self. Every single one of us is committed to my wants, my desires, what I can get out of it. And you know what the Bible calls that? It's a real simple word. It's not one that we necessarily hear a, a, a whole lot in our culture around us. The Bible calls that sin. It calls that sin, that, that bad news, this state of bad news that we live in. The Bible calls it sin. And here's the thing, is what sin has to do is sin has to push us back to the trajectory of the Bible as a whole. You see, because we have to understand sin in light of the reality that God created everything. And that he spoke everything into existence. And that you and I owe our entire existence to him. And he made it good. And he looked at you and me and he said, that's very good. I made them in my own image, to be my image bearers in the world, to live with me, to walk alongside of me, to grow, to be fruitful, to multiply, to exercise stewardship over everything that I have made. And we traded it. We traded it for an agenda of self. We traded it because we thought we knew better than God and what the Bible calls that sin. And it's bad news. It's bad news for you and it's bad news for me. And we know it because we see it all around us. We see it in this passage here because there are people who have diseases that need to be healed. The reason that that is there is because sin exists in the world. But there's good news. There's good news. God doesn't leave us there. He sends us Jesus. That's why Mark says this is the good news of Jesus, the Son of God, who's come into the world to save us from our sin, 
to bring us life instead of death and to ultimately take us into a new heavens and a new earth where he will take sin and he'll rip it out by the roots and it'll be gone. It'll be gone. Good news is that Jesus comes and he dies for our sin on the cross. He goes up there all alone. He takes our place. The Son of God becomes man and he lays down his life for all who would believe in him and all who would receive what it is that he has done. And that's important. It's important for us to know that we believe and we receive. It's important to understanding the real Jesus because these unclean spirits believe who this is. But they're not really interested in him having authority over their lives. They're not really interested in what it is that Jesus will go and do for them. The unclean believe and they actually announce it, but they want nothing to do with Jesus' authority and to submit to him. Is that you? Do you believe, but you're not really interested in Jesus having authority in your life? Is that me? I mean, a, a good question to ask ourselves, a good question for me to ask myself, where is Jesus not welcomed in my life? Where's Jesus not welcomed in your life? My hunch is the same things that you want Jesus to fix in your life are also the same things that Jesus isn't welcome in your life. Money, relationships, marriage, job, parenting, character, sexuality, your weekends, your weeknights. Where's Jesus not welcome? For me, and I've already hinted at this a little bit, one of my biggest struggles, one of my biggest struggles is that I, I want to be seen as the best dad in the world. And I'm really interested that you guys see me that way. And so I want Jesus to make me the best dad in the world, but he's also not welcome there at times. He's also not welcomed in that spot, in that space. What's your spot? What's your space? Where's Jesus not welcome to inhabit and to come in and to be there? Because here's what's true. Jesus is not a co-pilot and he's not a consultant. He's the son of God. He's the savior of our sin. Jesus won't be peddled for your agendas or for my agendas. He's not interested in being a genie or a general. He's not our miracle worker or our lobbyist. Jesus is only interested in one thing, and that is being our Savior. And what that means is that Jesus is interested in upending anything and everything that keeps us away from him. Anything that keeps us from thinking that we need anything less than the real Jesus. That we need anything less than the Son of God. The Savior. Jesus is interested in upending all of that. And here's what that means. Here's what that means is that Jesus is going to work on us. He is going to work on us. He's, he sent his spirit to work on us and to work in us. And he's, what he's going to do is he's going to bring us to who we really are. He's going to open our eyes to our agendas. 
He's going to open your eyes and my eyes to the places where we say, Jesus, you can't come in there. The ways that we just want Jesus for what he can do for us. The ways that Jesus could just push our agendas He's going to come in and he's going to open our hearts. He's going to open our eyes. And he, what he's going to do is he's going to bring that all crashing down around us. And at the bottom of that rubble, at the bottom of the life that is built on the agenda of self, what we have is we have a Savior who's waiting with open arms. We have a Savior who's waiting with open arms and unending grace. Unending grace which is gift. It's just gift. Grace is this idea of having an unmerited love and favor on us that's totally gift. You can't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to earn it. We can't build up enough of our lives so that God looks at us and says, oh, they're good for my team. No, it's all grace. It's all undeserved. It's all unmerited gift. Jesus gives us his life for our life. And in return, he moves us from death into life and even into a life that we would never imagine for ourselves. I would have never in a million years imagined that God would call me to be a pastor. Jesus is interested in upending anything and everything that takes us away from him. And what that means is he is moving us. Moving us from destruction to flourishing. Moving us from selfishness to sacrifice. From greed to generosity. From anger to joy. From hatred to love. From apathy to Holy Spirit-filled commitment. From agenda to submission. From pride to humility. Because it's His life. It's His death. It's His resurrection for us that He gives to us as gift, as grace. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. That's the real Jesus. I told you the first takeaway was long. The second one's shorter, I promise. I promise the second one's shorter. The second one is this. The first one, the real Jesus. The second one is this. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. After the mob, after the questions, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? After that is answered by these unclean spirits that are there, what Jesus does is he gets away with his disciples. He ultimately does get away. And he calls who he desires. And he appoints them to follow him, to preach in his name with his authority, to cast out demons. And the names that we read in verses 16 through 19, let me tell you, they're a ragtag bunch of people. They're a ragtag bunch of people. Here's what kinds of people are included in that name list. There's fishermen. There's business owners. There's a rich IRS agent. There's an anarchist. There's a thief. 
There's hotheads. There's stoics. There's betrayers. There's brawlers. There's diplomats. There's day laborers. There's the elite, the middle class, the working poor, the generationally wealthy, and the paycheck to paycheck. And the point is this. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for all kinds of people, from all kinds of different backgrounds. And look, it doesn't stop here. This is a pattern that we see throughout the Bible, that God is after all kinds of people from all kinds of places, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of jobs, all kinds of different people. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for you. Jesus is for me. Believe that. Receive it. Receive what Jesus has done for you. Those of you who are following Jesus and you're like, yes, I believe it. I receive it. I've got something for you. So, 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 so I'm going I'm to speak to that crowd for just a, just a few moments. A number of weeks ago in Romans chapter 9, as you guys were going through Romans chapter 9, Dave asked you this question, and I want to ask you this question too. Do you have a burden for those who are far away from Jesus? Is your heart burdened for people who are far away from Jesus? Do you have those kinds of people in your life? Do you have people in your life who don't believe the same thing that you do? If you don't, you need to get some. Get some. Because I promise you this, and this is true for me, I'm one of the most unlikely of candidates that Jesus would come after and would befriend. You got to open yourself up. You have to. You need to. Jesus is pushing you to. The Spirit is moving you to have a burden for those who are far away from Jesus. To give you and me a heart for that. And if you're here and you're involved and you're committed, you need to know this. In order to have a heart for those who are far away from Jesus and to tell anyone about Jesus, Jesus has to be for you first. You have to see that he came after you and he pursued you and he tracked you down and gave you the good news of his life for yours. You need to hear that all the time. I need to hear that all the time, we never get past needing Jesus. Jesus is the A to Z of Christianity. Here's what that means practically. Are you here every week to hear the good news? Are you here every week to gather together with God's people and to be encouraged and to come to the table that Jesus has set? Are you here every week to confess your sin and to hear God's assurance of his grace to you and what Jesus has done? Are you here? Are you committed? Are you in? The latest statistics show that, that the vast majority of Christians consider what it means to be a committed Christian is to show up to church one in four weeks, which is a major shift in the last seven years. It's gone from 75% of being here on Sunday to 25%. That that's what commitment is. And let me tell you, as a church planner, I need more than 25%. I gotta have more than that. And here's what's true is we all need more than that. It is not enough. It's not enough. So are you here? 
Are you here? Are you in here? Are you involved? Are you in? Are you committed? Or are you just half-hearted? Are you half in? Because if you're half-hearted and you're half in, I got to tell you, you're missing something essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're missing something essential to what it means to be a Christian. And that is, is that we have to come here every week and we have to hear the good news. We have to hear that Jesus gave himself for us that he laid down his life for us, that he went to the cross for you and for me, that we would have life and we would have it abundantly. We gotta have it. We have to have it. Okay, I'll stop. But here's for everyone, for all of us. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for us. He is not just an enlightened moral and religious leader. Jesus is not the David Copperfield of his day. Jesus is not a marketing genius. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the one who loved us all the way to the cross. So if you're here and you're hearing this this morning, Jesus is for you. Jesus is after you. He is pursuing you. He is pursuing you in such a way to push you to come to grips with your life, with my life, with my motives, my desires, my agendas, your motives, your desires, your agendas that are ultimately revolved around self. And he's working in us to bring those to him, to sit at the bottom of that pile of rubble that we've built around us and to see the Savior with open arms saying, come to me, give it up. Give it over, let go of it, believe and receive my life for yours. Receive the one who for the joy that was set before him. That joy was you and me. He endured the cross. That's the son of God. That's Jesus. That's the savior. Come to him. He will give you life. He will upend everything that is keeping you from him and he will show you and he will show me all his grace. All his gift 